Thanks for tuning into the podcast today. Today's episode will feature John Hudson, Chief Operating Officer at Sentara. Sentara is a leading agriculture technology company headquartered here in Minnesota. John has extensive experience leading global enterprises and has actually traveled the world himself. Today, we sit down to discuss Sentara, their new office space, and what growth looks like for them in the coming years. I hope you enjoy, and now to the podcast. John, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me this morning. I really appreciate it. Happy Friday to you. Um, before we went live here, we were both just talking about how being in Minnesota can can really suck the energy out of you, especially this time of year. So I know we're both really looking forward to getting into some some warmer spring weather here. Um, before we get started, I'd love to just take a, a second and have you introduce yourself and share us just a share with the audience here just a little bit more about Sentara and what you guys do. Absolutely. Thanks, Brandon. Happy to be here. Appreciate the invite. So maybe I'll start with a little bit about myself. Um, I'm originally from Toronto, Canada, born and raised. Uh, that's where I attended university as part of obtaining my CPA license. I very quickly moved into industry, though, where for six years, I worked for one of the world's largest telecommunication companies. The majority of my time was spent in Silicon Valley in California, where I worked in a number of startups that we had acquired around the time of the dot-com boom and then continued on there through the subsequent dot-com bust. After moving back to Canada in 2004, I transitioned into the agricultural industry and spent the next 15 years of my career at Syngenta, one of the world's largest agribusinesses and a market leader. During my time there, I had positions, uh, CFO positions at the country, territory, and regional levels. And those roles took myself around the world, literally, with my growing family at the time. We started in Canada, moved on to Switzerland. From there, we moved on to Singapore. Then finally, we arrived here in Minnesota in 2015. In 2019, I made my next company move, blending my ag industry experience with my previous startup experience and joined Sintera, an ag startup based here in St. Paul, Minnesota. Since joining, I've held the role of Chief Operating Officer, where I have responsibility for all of our back office functions, including finance, HR, legal, information technology, production and facilities. I'm also responsible for our flight services and customer success organization, which are focused on driving retention and loyalty through post-sale onboarding and support of our customers. Maybe I'll do a little bit more of a pitch for Sintera as well. As a precision ag company, we're focused on delivering time-sensitive data-driven insights from around the time a crop is planted through to its harvest. Those insights seek to optimize decision-making for agronomists and growers and dramatically improve their profitability, their crop yields, and sustainability outcomes in the farmer's field. There are many studies out there today that have identified agriculture as the least digitally enabled industry on the planet. So here at Sintera, we're looking to change that fact by enabling our customers with actionable data that delivers efficiency gains and the valuable insights needed to respond to the type of seasoning condition that Mother Nature delivers, which of course is different every year. Yeah. Very, very cool background. I mean, you've, you've quite, to your point, quite literally been around the world with your experiences and obviously have been part of a lot of different cultures and a lot of different company cultures as well from the, from the startup community back into, you know, a call it big business, right? Um, with your time um, kind of traveling around the world and then back into kind of this startup high energy kind of creativity environment at, at Sentara. Um, tell me just a little bit about um, Sentara as far as other companies that are out there looking at doing something similar to you guys, call them competitors, call them, you know, whatever you want. Um, what does that landscape look like right now? Are, and are you guys really on the forefront of 
kind of that data-driven approach to uh, crop science and a lot of the work that you're doing? Yeah, I would say if you look historically, uh, it is a it is a blue ocean area that that in terms of um, there's a lot of players, big and small, that are trying to figure out how digital can be brought into the industry to drive um, not only improvements for their customers in terms of um, performance, like I mentioned, but also internally to drive competitive advantage. Um, if you look at the large agribusinesses of the world right now, even a, a fraction of a share point can mean tens of millions, even hundreds of millions of dollars, depending on, on what you're talking about and what context. So it is an area that's getting um, a, a lot of people are looking at. Um, there's been, I would say, some simplification of the landscape because there was a big bow wave into it in terms of investment. That investment does continue, but I think at the same time, it's starting to wean out the, the, you know, the performers versus the pretenders, I would mm -hmm. say. And I think that's what we're really trying to demonstrate, and it's to shout out that we want to be on that performer side and that the technology and the capabilities that we're already demonstrating, they're not just on paper, but they're actually out in the field. They're in our plat software platform and demonstrating that um, you know, that performance with, with our customers. Very cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting industry. And as obviously as we've worked with you guys and gotten to know you more, it's been fun to follow your growth and um, kind of a little bit along those lines, how, how big is your team now? And are you guys spread across the U S you really hyper-focused here in the twin cities? Tell us just a little bit more about um, your team and, and where they're at. Yeah. So um, like any startup, I can say that I was, employee number 44 when I joined back in 2019 uh, and it's been a fun journey since then um, I would say we're we're about 105 now just over 105 employees we also have a big seasonal element um, as most companies do there in agriculture you do bring in a lot of seasonal employees to to react to um, the the bulk of the the in-season activity that occurs right now we do operate in 74 countries around the world. There's, there's 74 countries that we call um, customers that are located there. For the most part, though, our presence is U.S.-based. Uh, our team is predominantly U.S.-focused right now in terms of feet on the ground. Uh, in the future, I think we would look to expand uh, internationally, but right now we do that largely through partners and resellers. Got it. So just to echo that, the majority of your team is based here within the U.S. You're calling on lot, lots of different countries, but as far as the people who are, you know, making it happen for Centera, you guys are pretty much focused here in, in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at some of the biggest markets in terms of broad acre crops, which is where we focus, the U.S. is, is, is right there at the top. North America is at the top. So, from a technification standpoint, in terms of the sophistication of what's actually happening in the field as well, um, the U.S. is a leader in that space. So bringing digital to a, an area where growers, agronomists, and, and everybody else in the agricultural supply chain are already familiar with technology and, and technification of the crops, then obviously that you focus here to, to drive that, validate that, and then look to take that value to other developing markets. Yeah. Um, obviously you guys are, you're, you're a Twin Cities based company. Um, you know, you have a lot of, I would imagine you have a lot of really interesting skill sets on the team from folks like yourself who come from, um, the agricultural side of the business. You guys are a software company at the same time. You have this drone element, 
Um, tell us a little bit about, and we don't have to get super granular here, but maybe if you can kind of think about the buckets of different skill sets on your teams, obviously we have finance marketing, but are you guys bringing a lot of software talent in and what does that growth trajectory really look like from a workforce perspective for you guys? Yeah, it's been a real interesting mix. If you look at the, the journey that we've already been on and where we want to go in the future. So to go right back to our roots, um, we were actually based more in the military and um, aerospace defense area. Uh, and that was focused around the drone technology. So there was a realization that you could draw parallels to that military environment where if you could picture an environment where you've got um, many different disparate sources of information coming at you from many different places there are varying degrees of quality or reliability connectivity is not always guaranteed there's a lot of parallels that you can draw when you try and bring that type of technology into agriculture as well so the original founding team realized that there was an opportunity here and that was the basis for getting started with more of the drone sensor and high resolution imagery in agriculture. Where it grew from there though is interesting is that you do have to have that agronomic sense to it so that you can talk the language of how it is actually adding value in the fields. So bringing on agronomists on top of that was, was an evolution that we went through. And then beyond that, uh, it, like you said, it's if we count our revenue today, it's more software and services based than it is hardware based. So bringing in more folks that are familiar coming from other industries that have dealt with growing a software business that operates more like subscription like, that's been an important mix and element as well. So there's been a real melting pot that's been happening at the company over the last couple of years. Yeah, and you can probably pick up on where I'm going with this, right? Is when we look at, um, Minnesota as a state and the kinds of professionals that tend, tend to live here, right? I, I think about software and I know we have a growing software community here and I, um, I absolutely love that. I actually did a podcast with a good friend of mine, Reed Robinson, who was in the startup community. And we were talking about exactly that kind of the software as a service model. And, you know, in the Twin Cities, we don't do Candy Crush here well. That's not really the, the, the businesses that we see coming out of Minnesota. They're really the companies that are doing something good for the world. We talk about healthcare, we talk about agriculture, we talk about um, all of those things. And so you guys just made the decision to um, open a new office building right here in St. Paul. Um, I'd love to know kind of your, your rationale and your excitement around that new space. We had an awesome time working with you guys and helping find that space and building it out in a way that promotes your culture. But with all of these, this diverse, um, work the diverse workforce that you guys hire obviously folks can come from all over the country what is the really the role that you see um that office building playing and and why st paul and why minnesota yeah i think the the, the simple answer is if you look at where we're located we're right in the heart of the corn and soybean area so um the bulk of of those crops is in the minnesota and the i states so there's a rich history of agriculture uh, and if you just look at the twin cities in terms of the large headquarters that are based here as well um, there's a lot of rich talent from an agriculture standpoint so it's pretty um it's pretty i'd say obvious from that standpoint why you would want to do it from an agriculture standpoint because you've got a, a robust set of talent but i've also found since moving here in 2015 i love the entrepreneurial spirit that seems to be in the twin cities uh, there is a lot of um, companies that are, are getting started. There's a lot of venture capital that flows through. I think we're a bit of a, 
a quiet um, city from that standpoint in terms of, you know, the Silicon Valley gets a lot of focus and then the East Coast and Boston gets a lot of focus and there's, you know, stuff going on in between and yeah. people tend to fly coast to coast and don't always necessarily appreciate that. And that's something that I found quite exciting since, um, since moving here. But if I talk a little more about the journey, uh, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting one. I guess that would be the word I would use to describe it. Cause it actually started way back in the fourth quarter of 2019 and didn't finish until August of 2021. So it's almost two years from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, so you have to appreciate that when we started original planning, talking around whether or not you're going to take real estate, the whole work from home debate was not nearly the topic that it is today, which is partly why I assume you're asking me that question. Now, that said, if you rewind back to 2019, we did have a work from home policy, but I would say at the time, it was more our cultural norm to come into the office each day to interact and collaborate with one another. So the short answer is we'd outgrown our old office and we were planning for a significant expansion of the team. So something had to give. What we didn't know at the time or needed to evaluate was whether we were going to expand at our old office or find an entirely new larger location. So in selecting the case building in St. Paul, it ticked all the boxes of what we were looking for. I'd say the more interesting point though, was that although it took two years, the fact that a global pandemic occurred in the middle of our move, that allowed us to expand our search scope as companies move to that work from home environment and attempt to reduce their office footprints. More significantly, we found that certain class A buildings were now in our market scan based on budget, where before the pandemic hit, we were largely committed to only being able to afford class B buildings. So therefore we were able to stretch our dollars and secure space that met our requirements, which seemed a more daunting task back in 2019 when we were only previewing the class B buildings. So there's a bit of a longer answer to it if you if you want to bear with me, because I do want to give a shout out to, to Cressa and the role that, that you guys played in it. Because we'd run a rather robust uh, process where we engaged with our employees in the early stages, ran a survey, we had listening sessions, all with the intent of gathering feedback on what people valued in the old office and what they hoped we could improve upon. So that feedback was useful, it gave us a clear line of sight as to the key focus areas and requirements. Um, it did become pretty clear though that although there was the emotional connection to the old office and of course the expected fear of change as there always is pretty much across the board, everyone saw this as an opportunity to make some positive changes. So we moved pretty quickly to concluding that a new location would be our approach. From there, we ran an RFP and selected Cressa as our move advisors. I'd say that all the firms responded to, our, to the RFP, did a really nice job of presenting their services for finding and securing the new space. Where Cressa really differentiated their offer was on their post-move support and project management. I think the Crescent team recognized that we were a startup and there was no way that we were going to have the in-house expertise or time to manage the move to the degree of detail that's required. And I would say anyone that's overseen an office move knows the level of detail that you must go to is absolutely endless. So we made our decision. We have our wish list. We have our move partner. We also had Cresso run a traffic surge study of the Twin Cities area. So one of the most important items or concerns that people had on our team was the commute times. What we found though, was that almost everyone was within a 45 minute commute of the, the old office. So we committed up front to everyone that we would maintain that metric, which effectively set the search boundary. And we shared that boundary with everyone in the company. So as with any move, there's winners and losers with respect to commute times, but this way we were transparent and everyone knew the plan. And although it was a long journey, I believe most people were pleased with the end product. And if you haven't seen the pictures of the court and case buildings, which is where we're located, 
I'd really encourage you to go online and check out their gallery. It's a pretty cool space. Um, we know also that we're not done. We didn't get everything right in terms of layout, so we will make some adjustments in the future. And we know this because we've already collected some post-move feedback from those that have been working in the office already. And while we're not back to 100% capacity, that fact has actually been a blessing as it's given us some time and will give us time to make those adjustments before we experience the higher traffic flows in the future in the office. Wow. wow. Well, I, I think that you guys are a really great case study for taking that methodical approach to deciding on space, right? And it happened at such an interesting time for you because to your point that started before COVID. And then as you guys, as we got into the, to the thick of it in 2020 and 2021, things just fundamentally changed from a, a workforce perspective in a, you know, a work from home or a hybrid or an in-person perspective. And I think proactively engaging with your employee base, kind of pulling that, using a data-driven approach from a commute perspective to really hone in on what those locations were and then getting everybody rallied behind a, a frankly, to your point, a, a really, really cool space that's got a lot of kind of fun elements to it, um, just kind of sets you up for success. And you're right, you're not gonna always get it right, right off the bat and maybe a little bit of a blessing in disguise with folks being more remote, a little bit more hybrid, um, and giving you guys the time and the flexibility to make some of those decisions. I think it's, it's, it's really great. Kind of on that note, when we're talking about remote, hybrid, full-time in-person, how are you guys as a leadership team thinking about that? And are you guys taking any steps to communicate with your teams on what your expectations are? Because, you know, if I draw on some of our experiences, you know, we really enjoy the time together for certain things, right? And the day-to-day -day minutia of emailing and phone calls and Zooms, there's a lot of benefit from being able to do that from home. You and I, I think you're in the office. I'm actually in the office on Zoom, but we could very easily be doing this remotely. Um, but you lose out on some of that, being able to knock on the, on the door and ask a question or to mentor maybe more junior team members. Um, I'm curious about how you guys are thinking about, about all that and kind of the way that you've been communicating about it with your team members. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for the question. Uh, I would say up front, it's still an ongoing dialogue. By no means have we figured out the solution that's right for us. Um, what I can say just from the conversations we had, the, the recommendation I make to everyone is obviously know your current and future audience that you're appealing to and stating your claim. So if you take that from a Sintera perspective, the majority of our employees have grown their careers in various forms of science. So therefore, we felt it was important to lay out the science behind in-office versus work from home versus just defaulting to we're going to choose one or the other. So while there seems to be many articles out there in the news right now around the work from home productivity benefits, what we found is there seemed to be fewer, although no less impactful studies that concluded that proximity and face-to-face -face interactions are critical to innovation. As a company, I'll state the obvious, we want to be as productive as possible, but we also hold innovation as one of our company values, so it's core to our strategy. As a result, we couldn't ignore core ingredients that fuel an innovation uh, or an innovative culture. So we shared these studies with the team, presenting both perspectives, and while we haven't completely figured out the right balance yet, we feel the team at least understood the rationale as to why saying everyone could stay at home wasn't necessarily in our best interest. 
I think most people understood that point and they've been willing to engage in the dialogue as we can do sort of way through what the rate balance is. The interesting thing, just as an aside though, is given, you know, obviously I've spent much of my career working in large multinational companies. I guess I am really curious going forward how these companies will handle work, the work from home mentality once they get back to a more regular cadence of regularly revisiting strategy and possible resulting reorganizations. I do know from personal experience that significant change management when it's done over Zoom or other video platform is gonna to lead to a different set of employee engagement and ownership challenges. So I think that, that'll be an interesting space in terms of how the larger companies deal with that that are pushing really hard right now to say, we can be very flexible and all our employees can, can stay at home. Yeah, I think that's a really thoughtful approach. And if I can draw on some of the experiences or some of the tangential conversations that we've had with our team or our clients is um, it's changing month to month. And there's no way that I think companies really tried to stop predicting and assuming when things were going to go back to quote unquote normal. I think we're in some sort of um, new normal, if you will, and being flexible with your team members um, is, is really important too. And there's going to be a lot of folks out there and we're already seeing that say like, there's no way I'm coming back to the office full time. Absolutely not. And I think that is also coinciding at a point in time where we have a, a, a huge change in the workforce happening. A lot of folks picking up and, and, and going elsewhere if they are not able to get what they want from a, from a culture and a benefits perspective. And so, you know, as you got, I think every company is reeling and kind of dealing with that. We are, you know, finding new team members isn't easy. I'm sure that retaining and finding new team members isn't easy for you guys. Um, kind of a question around that would be, what does three to five years look like for Sentara? Are you guys really um, trying to grow as far as, you know, accounts and, and people? Like, what, what does that horizon look like for you guys? Yeah, we consider ourselves very lucky as the customers you look at that we count today. They're some of the largest agricultural companies in the world. So in terms of our current business volumes with them, we're very much on the front end of our growth potential with each of them. They're so, they're, therefore, from a targeting perspective, our challenge is not really to go and find a bunch of new customers. Instead, we need to focus on our existing customer base and ensure that we give them outstanding service, clearly demonstrating the value creation that our products generate for their businesses. If we do that well, then we feel we can successfully grow inside these accounts. So that's the customer view on it. If I, if I put a product lens on it, if we've talked about already, it's our goal to become more and more SaaS-like with respect to our offers that we present to our customers. So SaaS meaning software as a service for anyone that's not familiar with that term. That means that proportionately our software and analytics products will grow at a much faster rate than our hardware products. It doesn't mean that there's low growth in hardware. Even the use of drones, sensors, and high-resolution imagery is still relatively early in its adoption curve in agriculture. But for us, we see a clear and deliberate mix shift towards software analytics and subscription-based revenues. As a simple example, our revenue mix in 2019 was more than 85% hardware. By 2021, hardware was less than 40%. So looking forward, I would envision that, that mix will continue to evolve with software analytics and services comprising an even larger proportion of our revenues over the next three to five years. Yeah, and with that, comes a increase a, a new demand for your workforce and your talent right moving maybe not necessarily away from hardware but a, a heavier focus on the software the analytics those are different 
you know, different skill sets than, you know, the, the hardware growth would allow. So um, very, very interesting. Really appreciate you kind of taking the time to, you know, dive into some of that with us and share your thoughts on the new space. You know, I think at a time where a lot of companies are trying to figure this thing out um, and trying to wrap their minds around it, it's it's awesome to hear a case study from from a company like yours and how you guys are approaching it. And I hope that folks who listen to this who may be a, a similar size and a, of a similar mentality as you guys can take away some learning. So um, this is usually the point in the podcast where I kind of flip the table around a little bit. Um, we've been doing this the last couple of conversations and I think it's kind of fun to, to do this and kind of do a little bit of a role reversal. So John, I'll, I'll kind of open up the floor to you to ask, um, you know, throughout your experiences working with Cressa and in the commercial real estate space and everything that's going on right now, what are maybe some questions that you have for me and our team members? And if I can't answer them, I'll certainly get back to you on that and I'll, I'll try and cover my bases as best as I can, but I'd be curious uh, to know what you're thinking about. Yeah, so I think I've got some good ones here for you to put you on the spot. Oh, great. Here we go. I want to go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go back to the articles because obviously everybody's picking up the news and trying to get a handle on what's going on out there. So yeah. back to the articles. And you can see there's a lot of writing right now around we're finally moving to an endemic versus a pandemic. And <laughs> finally, people will be able to return to the office. You contrast that. There's articles that suggesting we're never going to return to the office. It's the new, the new way. So my question is, What's Cress's view on the future state of the office and how are you planning accordingly as a strategic advisor to your clients, your clients, real estate plans? Yeah, it's a great question. And I might take this, the safe answer here, uh, call it safe or whatever you want. It's so dependent on the individual company. So a part of our process as a strategic advisor in, in this industry is we, have the luxury of sitting down and getting to know our clients very well before we even talk about a building, right? When we sat down and talked to you guys, we understood that you guys were a growing company. You were adding software development talent. You were, you were growing your SaaS business model. And so from those business related conversations, I think we're able to get a good baseline on what this company really needs to be successful. And for some folks, that's we are a we are a hand-to-hand -hand combat business. We have a lot of engineers. We have a lot of designers. And we need to be in person because our team members need to have their hands on things. So we really can't afford to work remotely, right? That drives a different need than somebody that is completely software related and can almost work remotely um, 100% of the time. And so that strategic, that strategic planning element is really critical for us. And so the state of the office is... It's a, it's a hard question to answer. Long story short, the office is going to, the office is here to stay. I think the office and its format and it's the way it's organized for companies may change. And I think the needs of the office are changing. For example, for us, you know, we're a 25 person team here in Minneapolis. Right now, our office is a lot of individual offices. I think that in the future, in the very near future, we may consider moving to a model that is more collaborative in nature, where the days where we're in the office in a hybrid model are kind of formed around thoughtful collaboration, which allows our team to come in, get that in-person contact, have those conversations and make sure that we keep that portion of our culture alive. I'm not saying that companies need to be in person to have culture. I don't think that's true, but I think that there are elements of the culture that need to 
um, kind of be grown and groomed through that in-person collaboration. And so it's very dependent on the company. I think that we try and do our best to really understand businesses, business first before you think about the box and then design the box for the way that you're gonna run your organization. Um, one thing that we are seeing, which is a really interesting trend happening in the office space right now, Class C and Class B office space, the demand for that has, has dropped significantly. Um, the, the demand for Class A office space with great amenities and, and high-end finishes has grown significantly. And so actually for the first time in a very long time or ever, we're seeing demand for office space go down, but rents go up. Usually those things are kind of are correlated, right? You see demand goes down, prices would go down, but because that class A building is so highly sought after, it's driving the opposite or the inverse relationship, um, which tells me that again, office isn't going away. It's just the way the companies are thinking about it is changing. So I don't know if that was a safe answer or not, but I, I think that's kind of the, that's the mental uh, kind of the, the hula hoop that we jump through when we're, when we're thinking about that conversation. I think that's why it's such a difficult question is because the it's just it's not one size fits all. And that's why you can go back and say there's so many different viewpoints that are out in the news right now is because it, it's not one size fits all. You really have to know you have to know your people, you have to know your business, you have to know your customers. And that all has to be weighed in the mix in terms of the, the, the decisions that you make. But let's assume there is an office somewhere in the future. Um, are you finding any relocation shifts of organizations headquarters from core downtown areas to the suburbs to be more flexible from that standpoint? Yeah, you know, I'll draw on what we're seeing here in, in the Twin Cities, in, in Minneapolis in particular, where we spend a lot of our time. I can't speak for some of the other suburban areas um, that our other Cressa offices are in, but, you know, we are seeing some shifts away from core downtown. I think a lot of that um, is driven by perception of public safety mostly um, in Minneapolis right now. And so folks that were coming up on their, their renewals in a downtown office location are contemplating or thinking about moving out to the suburbs. And, and we haven't seen, I won't call it a mass exodus, but we have seen some companies pick up and, and, and look at some of the first ring or second ring suburb towns. I will say though, that as we have more people coming back downtown, there's safety in numbers, right? Being walking through a skyway alone versus walking through a skyway with 50 other people, the, the, the comfort level of that is much higher. And so I think time will tell. I don't think we've seen the kind of comeback to Minneapolis as far as numbers yet to make that determination if folks are really going to invest. But we also do know that millennials do still enjoy the live and work downtown environment you talk about areas like North Loop or you talk about the warehouse district. Um, those areas have seen growth as far as folks moving into apartments. The core downtown, kind of the business district is where you've seen some people kind of move away from. So I think time will tell. We've seen some folks looking, obviously perception of public safety, um, but as more folks start to come back downtown, I think um, we'll have some more insights on that. I want to pick up on that that cool space comment you just made. So I, I'm curious, I got another one here for, I think this is my favorite one too, actually. So yeah. have you heard of or experienced any organizations that are exploring the concept of maybe more offices, but much smaller footprints that overall give them more loca locations, perhaps in these attractive areas, 
where employees can come together to collaborate. So for example, they're pursuing like a satellite strategy instead of a megastructure strategy. And does the economics even work on that? Yeah, you know, it's, that's a, it's a fantastic question. I, the companies that I think would be able to do this are probably larger organizations from an economics perspective. And we haven't really seen that from them. What we've seen, and I actually, before I go there, these larger organizations are also some of the companies that um, have a workforce that is really demanding to, to work remote. And so I think while they're trying to still figure out this hybrid workforce strategy and folks can work remote, they're hesitant to put the capital down to have that satellite location when folks are moving even more virtual. Um, and so if you have, if you're a large organization, you have a kind of an epicenter, a big headquarter location, rather than putting a satellite location for 45 minutes out, we'll probably just tell you to come in one or two times a week. And then the other days of the week that you can work remote. Um, and, and that's kind of the trend that we're seeing within the office space. We also do a lot of work, and I know this isn't as relevant, but in healthcare, healthcare is uh, an, a really interesting industry in that we do see that satellite approach. A lot of that is based on capturing patient populations in rural communities, right? So you have a big Abbott Northwestern Center downtown Minneapolis, and you have those locations across the Twin Cities. So you can capture the patient population, and then you can funnel procedures back to the major metropolitan areas. And so um, two separate different, two different industries, um, obviously two different business models, uh, but an office, not so much. I think remote work is probably going to take a stronghold before they invest in those areas. But in healthcare, yeah, we continue to see that model kind of executed on a regular basis. Right. Cool. So anything else? Any uh, other um, questions you got for me? Or do we feel like we've, I feel like we've covered really good ground. I think it was a good conversation. I would agree. Cool. All right. Well, we will uh, wrap up our conversation here, John. Thanks so much for taking the time to sit down and share your story and uh, of your team and how you guys are thinking about the space. And I hope that uh, this was as valuable of a conversation as you know for me as it was for you. And I hope that the listeners also could take something away from this. So again, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me. And I, I really feel like Crest is part of the family now. It's been a, like I said, over a two-year journey that I've gotten on a lot of folks on the team. So it's been fun. Thank you yeah. for all the help. And folks, just to kind of echo that, John, Cressa, family, all three of those words, and a lot of that stuff that we were, we were doing that remotely. So it is possible to build relationships, strong ones, yeah. uh, over Zoom. Um, so, all right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, good. So, all right, John, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you.